Hey guys, my name is Dan. Welcome to the Dan Everett Podcast. This podcast is aimed at encouraging you in life, leadership, faith, and more. Please hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast to keep up to date. Today, here's a one-off episode for you to listen to. doing today? Good, okay, okay. Um, it's so good to be here together um, at church on a Sunday morning. Over the last uh, five weeks we've been doing a series called Our Gospel and looking at who we are as a church and you see right along here what we've been looking at. So last week what were we looking at? It's written here. I can't actually see this so you guys are gonna have to help me. Gospel growth. Looking at why are we not just one church in one location but why do we have many locations around the city. The week before that, we looked at Gospel Power Church, looking at our 2020 vision here, um, what that is, four new locations, uh, two refurbished buildings, and one uh, finished orphanage in India. And then the two weeks before that, we were looking at small groups. We believe that we are a family, and that we are to be a family. So we're looking at starting new small groups, multiplication, and also creating family. And really, the reason we do all of that What was the first one? The gospel changes lives. See, 2,000 years ago, God stepped into human history as Jesus. God sent Jesus because he didn't leave us to our own sin, our own brokenness, but he wanted to make a difference. He wanted to transform our lives. And so Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God. And yet God raised Jesus to life again. He resurrected him so that we could have hope, so we could have life, abundant life, so we could experience grace and mercy and have a purpose and a destiny. Isn't that great news? Isn't this the news that our city, our region, our nation needs to hear? Some of you believe the gospel changes lives. Some of you believe that Jesus changes lives. Yeah? Why don't you high five three people and tell them Jesus changes lives? Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Awesome. So, today we are back in John's Gospel. Woo! And we are looking at a series, continuing where we were before, um, a series called Jesus Is, looking at who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever taken, you know, like, that photo it has an angelic filter on it. You know, you get a caption that is actually a a word from the Lord for our generation. And you stick it out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. And then you get a like or two. People do not even see the anointing. And so in you, there starts to rise a bit of an insecurity. Or maybe like me, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you you get ready, you look in the mirror, and you're like, nobody wants to see me like this today. I'm going back to bed. 
or you know maybe I've oh, put on a little bit of weight and you know people are going to start thinking like I'm overeating and I'm a glutton and I have no self-control I know that self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit and then maybe I'm not even a Christian and saved oh. insecurity rises up in us or maybe someone said something to you years ago maybe you experienced abuse or hurt pain and there's, there's something rattling around in your soul in your heart and so whatever it is all of us have got our insecurities. All of us got things that were going on, whether it's financial insecurity, whether it's situations in our family or something at our workplace. And so insecurity stops us living full of joy, robs us of life. And so God doesn't want us to just ignore our insecurities. He wants to resolve them, work through them. And so today we're looking at Jesus is secure. And as we look at the passage, we're going to see that Jesus was secure even when people started talking about him. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 7? And we're going to see different things that people said about Jesus. You can spot them as we go. But first, before that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you that today we get to be here. We get to know you. We get to worship you. We get to take communion and remember, Jesus, all that you've done for us. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that the gospel changes lives. Lord, that was in the past, but also present. And Lord, you will continue to change lives. Lord, today you want to change our lives. So Lord, we want to open our hearts. Church, would you just ask God to come and speak to you today? Just take a moment to do that. Lord, I thank you that you know our insecurities. You know where our weaknesses are. And God, I thank you that today you want to encourage us. You want us to become secure in you. So, Lord, as we look at your word, would you speak to us? We want to hear your voice. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our ears and open our eyes. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So we're in John chapter 7 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 32. So quite a long passage, so please stick with me as we go through this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. So maybe you can understand why he didn't want to go there. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you because it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was whispering, uh, widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having ever been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. 
Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. Where the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I am from, but I know him who, because I am from him. You do not know him, sorry, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the, temple chief, and the, sorry, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Have you ever like walked into a room and there's really awkward silence, and you just sort of, there's a bit of an atmosphere, and you just know that someone's been talking about you. I think this is kind of what Jesus is experiencing here. There's a lot of tension in this passage, a lot of things said. But as I was preparing this message, something really struck me, something that's repeated a couple of times. And it wasn't just what the people said, but it was how the people were talking. In John 7, verse 12 and 32, among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him, some said he is a good man, others replied, no, he deceives people. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. But even with all this whispering going on, Jesus was secure despite what they were saying about him. You see, whispers fuel insecurity. Has anyone ever played Chinese whispers? Yeah, I'm sure it's not a politically correct name. However, Chinese Whispers is a sort of game we used to play as kids, and you'd sit around in a circle, and someone would start off with a sentence or a phrase, and then you'd have to whisper it to the person next to you, and then round and round, whisper it to the next person, the next person, the next person, the next person. And the idea of the game is that at the end, you check what was said at the start and see if they were the same. Usually, it wasn't. And so, whispers are sometimes hard to hear. You know, I, I sometimes I think I'm a bit partially deaf, but sometimes when someone's whispering, you have to lean in, you have to pay attention to all that's being said. And so if we see someone whispering on the other side of the room, we start to feel, wow, I'm, I'm missing out on something. Something's going on. And so whispers start to breed insecurity. It breeds anxi anxiety. So what were some of the things that they were saying about Jesus? Jesus was called a good man in verse 12, which I guess is half true. He was a good man, but he was also so much more than that. He was a deceiver, not true. He was unqualified, in verse 15, 
maybe by human standards, he hadn't had the rabbinical teaching. He was demon-possessed in verse 20, which I hope is false. Verse 26 and 31 says that Jesus is the Messiah, which we believe is true. And so these whispers were, some of them were true, or seemingly true. Some of them were false. Some of them maybe had some truth to them. And I think if we don't even realize it, but sometimes we all experience whispers in our life. You know, someone compliments you or encourages you, and your reaction inside you is, they don't mean what they say. Or, or maybe you've, you've not had a date for a while, you know, and this, you're, you're feeling the pressure, and you hear the whisper going on, I'm going to grow old and die alone. Or, you know, you're looking on social media, scrolling through your Facebook, and they're having such a good time without me. It, and there's a growing sense in us of insecurity. And we see insecurity in the crowds here as well in verse 13. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders, fear of what others would think, fear of man. See, our insecurity stops us worshiping as loud as we know we want to. We're scared of making decisions because of the consequences. We're holding back because of fear rather than making bold faith decisions. And so for almost all of us, I think, the whispers are louder than they should be in our lives. However, I want to look at three ways in this passage that we see that Jesus is totally secure. The first one is this, that Jesus is secure in God's timing. In verse 3 to 6, Jesus is having a conversation with his brothers. Says, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples may, there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. And then down in verse 30, at this they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So this conversation that's happening is happening about six months before Jesus' crucifixion. See, there was an appointed time for Jesus to complete his mission. See, it wasn't an accident that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. It was planned. It was preordained. It was deliberate. And yet his brothers are trying to push him to be someone, to, to do it in their timing. But Jesus was totally secure in God's timing. Not yet. God's timing is perfect. We're so often so impatient. You know, everything we expect now is to be faster. Faster phones. Faster internet. Instant TV series on Netflix. We want things to be here and now. We want things, we're often trying to rush ahead. Do you remember the Olympics in Rio? I remember watching some of the diving. I learned a lot about diving. Very interesting. Anyway, but there's a guy you might have heard of, a guy called Usain Bolt. Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, and he set, you know, more records. I think it'd be really annoying to be an athlete with Usain Bolt because he just wins everything. I'd be, yeah, anyway, that's my, yeah, cool. Um, but he won three goals in the Olympics for the third Olympics in a row. Pretty impressive. However, even the great Usain Bolt, if he had left the starting blocks one second early, he would have missed out on the prize. He would have been disqualified if he started too early. Have you ever noticed that God's timing 
is different to our timing. We always want to start so soon. In this passage, we see that Jesus has a run-in with his family. Is that encouraging? God bless our families. But sometimes some of us, we, we dread family gatherings because we know the questions. So, have you found the one? When are you guys getting married? Have you got a new job yet? Uh, and if we allow it, these, are, these whispers go into our heart and, and we're tempted to start compromising on God's timing. And so while we're waiting for God's timing, let's focus on the things that he's already asked us to do. So if you're waiting to find out what God's plan for your life is, he's already made that clear. Go make disciples. And while we're waiting on the right timing, do what God's, continue with what God has already said. Do that Jesus is secure in God's timing. Secondly, Jesus is secure in his purpose. Verses 16 to 18. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus is unqualified by, by the people, really, that he hadn't been to rabbi school. He had grown up being a carpenter. He wasn't really in a, a position to teach people. But Jesus was absolutely clear on his purpose, that he was a sent man. He knows his purpose and his task from God. Yet people still questioned his motives. He's a deceiver. They questioned his source. He's, he's just demon-possessed. Verse 24, Jesus says, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. His motives were questioned. And so people don't always know or understand what God's called you to do. They don't know what you've endured. They don't know your story. And they may not even understand. But God's calling us to be secure in the calling that he's got for us. How much do you want to give in the offering? Why on earth would you want to attend Destiny College for nine months? I have an absolute privilege to, to work here at the church. Um, and it, sometimes it brings up interesting conversations with my family. So my granddad uh, is a hardworking man. He's now retired, but he used to work in the railway. But every now and then, he comes on to my parents and asks them, when will Dan get a real job? And it's questions like that or thoughts like that that can really unsettle us, make us feel insecure. But Christ is secure in what God called him to do. And so some of us care so much about what our family think or say that we will never follow the call of God in our life. The whispers about our purpose can be, you, you can't do anything. You're going to let them down. You're not going to have enough money to do that. Does what others say or think about you dictate your life more than what God says about you? Does what others say or think about you dictate how you live more than what God says? And these things, these whispers, these thoughts, they stop us from fulfilling all that God has in store for us. And Jesus kept on doing God's will 
even what other people said about him. You still with me? Yeah, cool. So, Jesus was secure in God's timing, and he was secure in his purpose. And this is probably the, we'll spend a little bit more time on. Jesus is secure in his identity. See, there was lots of whispers about who Jesus is. But Jesus knew that the, the voice he had to listen to defined him, that defined him was bigger than the whispers he heard. Let's look at Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what his heavenly Father thought of him. Before he did any miracles, before he did any public teaching, his identity was affirmed. And so lots of people had different opinions about him. And they identified him as different things. But Jesus remembered what the most important person said to him. Knowing our identity always comes before our activity. Who you are is far more important than what you do. It's more important what God says about you than what people say about you. Have people written you off? You're unqualified. Well, God says, I give you purpose. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, I've messed up. I'm so stupid. I should have known better. God says, I restore you. I give you grace. There is no condemnation in Christ. It's more important what God says about you than what people say about you. Let me take you back to the 1990s. Anyone here a 90s kid? Yeah, okay. In the 90s, we had things like Tamagotchis, the original Pokemon, the real Pokemon. We had Pogs, Game Boys, some cool TV programs. But there was a film that I was thinking about recently, a classic, The Lion King. Yeah, come on. Which actually I found out this week. Fun fact, The Lion King was partly inspired, says the filmmakers, by the story of Joseph and Moses in the Bible. There you go. However, if you don't know the story of The Lion King, The Lion King is about a lion who's a king. So the king is called Mufasa and he has a boy called Simba. And they're, they are, the, Mufasa is leading the, the pride of lions. He's the man in charge. And so uh, at one point he's betrayed and he dies. And I guess the murderer is put on his son, Simba. And so Simba flees the, the family. He goes out into the wilderness. And he, he sort of loses himself a bit. And then along comes a, a baboon called Rafiki. And they have an encounter which is very interesting. And what happens in this encounter is that uh, Simba's, that Rafiki knows who he is. And he's trying to provoke him to get sort of back on course with his purpose. And so he's going along and Simba says, well, you know, you don't even know who you are. Which Simba responds to, yeah, oh, and I suppose you do. And Rafiki goes, sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. 
Uh, and as soon, as soon as Simba starts to begin to realize his identity as the son of the king, Simba finds courage to overcome, and it dries out the fear in him, the insecurity in him, and actually it starts to change the world around him, and he gets back on course with his purpose. Dr. Neil T. Anderson, who's written several books on identity, said this, you don't change yourself by your perception. You change your perception of yourself by believing the truth. The major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God and the truth of who we are. He can't change God, or he can't do anything to change our identity and position in Christ. If, however, he can get us to believe a lie, we will live as though our identity in Christ isn't true. Simba didn't know that he had the strength to fulfill his destiny. He was believing a lie about who he was, that he was a nobody. Your understanding of who you are defines and dictates what you do. Your understanding of who you are defines and dictates what you do. We hear it many times in church, but I want you to let it sink in, that God loves you. God loves you. Let that sink in. One John chapter three, verse one is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this in the NIV. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In the Amplified Version, it says, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us, that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. Wow. See, what other people call you doesn't d d determine who you are unless you let it. Some of us are, are deeply unsatisfied, and we're not really quite sure why. But the whisper we're, we're listening to is that, you know, we need to make everybody else happy. We're constantly trying to please other people, and we're worried about their opinions of us. You can't control other people's opinions of you. Quit trying. You don't need to live under that fear of what others think about you or what others have said about you in the past anymore. Your identity is who you are, not what others perceive you are. You see, you, you're not what your dad had said. You're not what your ex said to you. You're not what your colleagues think of you as they've been talking about you. You are what God, your father, says you are. See, you are loved. You are accepted. You are valuable. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were even born, God knew your name. He knows your name. He knows your story. You are not forgotten. You are a somebody and you have purpose. It's time for the whispers that are telling you that you are worthless, that you will never amount to anything, that you are a failure to be silenced and for you to stand and be who God calls you to be. I am done with trying to please people. I want to become more secure in who God says I am. I don't need to strive to prove anything. What others have called you doesn't change who God has called you to be. Jesus has had a mixed reputation with people, but it didn't change one bit who he was. There was a famous basketball coach called John Wooden, and he said, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. 
Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Your dignity and security arises solely from your relationship to him. How can the child of a king feel inferior? And so some people may say things that are untrue about you, or half true, or maybe a lot of truth to it. Maybe they might say it about your family or your church. You might even tell your things, self things as well. But you know what? You don't have to answer every critic. And so the sort of the application for today is this. Let God defend you. John 7, verse 27 to 28. We know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus said, still teaching in the temple courts, he cried out, yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. See, the people here, they thought they knew where Jesus was from. They thought he was from Nazareth. And he grew up there. But Graham's already mentioned Christmas. Do you know the Christmas story? Where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. See, that's where the Messiah had been predicted to be born. And Jesus could have defended himself. He could have been like, guys, you got it wrong. I grew up in Nazareth, but I was born in Bethlehem. He could have defended himself. He could have rectified that, but he chose not to. So how does God defend us? First one is this, through his word. See, the trouble with trusting what people say or what people think of you over what God says about you is this. People are fickle. They change their mind. They say things they don't even mean. And that's just you guys. In John 7, verse 19 to 20, and then verse 25, has not Moses given you the law? Jesus, Jesus talking, yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? In a few verses, they changed their mind about who Jesus is and that people are trying to kill him. See, God is the only one that's consistent in his word. And so what we need to do, we need to line up our thoughts with his thoughts. The Bible calls this something, renewing your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. And so as we allow God to speak truth to us in his word, then he will defend us against the whispers that hold us down. And he'll bring freedom in our insecurities. Say it with me. I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. So your price tag has been paid. You're bought with the blood of Christ. Nothing changes that. So God defends us through his word. And also God defends us through his actions. See, what others do, others, when others do things or say things about you, let God defend you to them. I love the story of Daniel. He's got a great name. Okay, my name's actually Daniel. It's not just Dan. That's the joke. Oh, well. So Daniel is a guy, he was part of God's chosen people, the Jews, and he was taken out into exile to Babylon. And while he's in Babylon, he's very handsome. Uh, he's he's well-educated, and uh, he gets put in a position of authority in the government. 
But he is a man of complete integrity, which is a miracle, being in the government, having integrity. Ooh. And so uh, some of the other politicians don't particularly like this, you can probably imagine. And he's got favor with the king. And so the king, uh, so the, the guys go to the king, and we want, we want to make a law that you can't pray to God. And yet Daniel is a man of integrity, but he's also a man of prayer. And so he follows through with his prayer time. And so he gets into trouble for this. So Daniel chapter 6, I want to read a few verses from that. From verse 15. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict can, that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn... The king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the, li- uh, the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. See, before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he could have defended himself. I've not done anything wrong. He chose firstly to let God defend him. See, we have an enemy, the devil. He's like a lion, whispering, prowling. But God has the victory. He always has the last word, and he will defend you. Our Father protects us. He is our defender. So we don't need to rush and defend ourselves first. Isaiah 50, verse 7 to 8, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. So God defends us through his word and through his actions. And the last one, is this, through his presence and love. And all I want to say about this point is, let your worship drown out the whispers. Let your worship drown out the whispers. Let your declarations about who God is be louder than the whispers that you hear. Some of them will be false. Some of them will be half true. Some of them may even seem to be true. But let your praise, let your worship drown them out. Can I invite the worship guys to come back and start leading us in a time of worship. See, who Jesus is changes everything. There are many things said about Jesus. There were a lot of whispers from the people. But some believed he was the Messiah. In verse 31, still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? See, Jesus is the only one qualified to save us. So my plea to you today is this. Don't be half-hearted. Don't sit on the fence any longer. If Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, come to save us from our sin and our brokenness, don't sit on the fence any longer. Be all in. See, Jesus wasn't just a good man like some people thought. He wasn't just a good teacher, and he was and is. But he is the Savior of man. So don't wait till tomorrow before you say, I choose to follow Jesus and take him seriously. Let's pray together.
just take a moment just to pray about your response. Maybe some of these things have spoken to you. Maybe you know that there are insecurities in your heart. I might have mentioned them or I might not have mentioned them. Take a moment now just to pray back your response. Invite God into those situations. And maybe you're here and you actually don't yet know Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. But you can honestly say, I have a relationship with God. And today, as everyone is praying, if you're up for it, I want to lead you in a prayer. That you say yes to him. You say yes to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if this is for you, if you're like, if you know, okay, I need to come back to God, or I've never known him and I, I need him, if this is you, simply pray this prayer after me, line by line, under your breath. Something like this. Dear Lord God, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, you died for me so that I could be forgiven. I turn away from my old life. And today I choose to follow you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thanks for listening in to this one-off episode of the Dan Everett podcast. To keep up to date with all the latest episodes, I'd love it if you're able to subscribe on your podcast player, share it with your friends on social media, or leave a review on iTunes. I'd also love to connect on Instagram and Twitter. My username is at DanEverett90. That's all for now. Talk to you soon.